Hello, it's Graham Norton here. Thank you so much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. Uh, coming up, I speak to the lovely Kate Humble about her winter farm escape. Ellie Bamber gives a sneak peep of Serpent, which I'm certain will be everyone's next binge-watch obsession. And funny man Rod Gilbert fills us in on his latest stand-up special. Also, Mel C talking about her single Into You. But first, here's Maria. How are you, my dear? I'm all right, thank you, Graham. Guess what? We are one week nearer to spring. Hooray! Hooray! It's the only positive thing I have to say. Well, I've had a very busy week. I've had a mad week. Have you? Yes. I've worn socks twice, if you include today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's very pleasing. And I've had a shower most days. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep, good. Busy, busy, busy. <laughs> well, I just tweeted, does anybody else do this? Does anybody else have a shower and then think, oh, I'll put my pyjamas back on? <laughs> Do you, was I? I forget. I I get dressed and then I. Why did I get dressed? I'm not. I'm not, not going, going anywhere. anywhere. I could be just well, waffling just around in a Demi Roussos kimono. Yes, I just tweeted I was still in my pajamas, but then I thought, no, standards can't slip, Maria. So I went and put my jeans on. Graham, very very tight. I realised it's the first time I've worn anything kind of with a zip and a button that you know tight round the waist since the beginning of December. Ooh. Things have gone a little bit awry. What is the denim shrunk in the house? That's I think actually somebody must have come in in the <laughs> night and swapped my jeans for somebody else's. That's the only explanation there can be. But you are very good, aren't you, at getting on that thing you have? The cross is it a cross trainer? What is it? That thing I have. Well, it takes up most of your house. It's like it's hard to miss it. <laughs> Yes, I do get on that. But, it's you know, I think it's only 20% of exercise, isn't it? And it's about 80% of what you stick in your club. And if it's kind of, you know, rich tea biscuits, as I've just downloaded about half a packet, um, that's going to have a, a make a difference, isn't it? See, I don't bring biscuits into the house. That's very disciplined of you. Well, it's just sensible. Mind you, I'm uh, my health kick has kicked off this week because I've never done this before. I've oh, yeah. started a regimen, a regimen, a regime, a regime. of, of uh, what do you call those things? Like, you know, vitamin-y, supplement-y things. Oh, yeah. I got influenced. I got influenced. Someone on Instagram... By an influencer? No, no. Yes, I got influenced by an influencer. Uh, someone on Instagram was shoveling these... Bills down them. They look great. So I thought, oh, well, if I if I have those vitamins, I too should have glossy locks. You're an advertising man's dream, Graham. And a, and a six pack. So I sent away. Well, no, I'm an idiot. So I sent yes, away for these so long ago because I didn't realise that the company I was buying them from was in America. So. So actually, all the things I ticked on the box about you know how I was feeling at the time had probably changed by the time. I'm certainly two months older since I I <laughs> sent away from them. But it makes a big difference these days. Do two you months take is two years? Do you take supplements and stuff, Maria? I take vitamin D because you know COVIDy things. But I, you're always outside, even, aren't you? What? You're always outside. Isn't that a vitamin D thing? I know, but at the moment it's very rarely sunny, is it? Don't rub it in, Maria. Um, <laughs> you know, this is properly winter here, and it's very rainy. Well, gosh, Maria, it's winter here you, too. Though. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in a different place too. I have a question for you. I enjoyed your televisual show yes. very much last night and I did love the suit. If anybody hasn't seen it, do watch on iPlayer because it's worth it just for the suit alone. But Daniel Schloss, Schloss, am I correcting? Schloss. Uh, Schloss. 
um, <laughs> he, very, very funny comedian, and he was talking about, in his set, he does lots of things where he makes people split up their relationships if they're not in the right one. If you're in a happy relationship, you won't split up, but, you know, marriages and so on. But then he said it was a bit of advice that his dad had told him when he was younger, and he's built this into a big routine, and it's a marvellous success in his set. But we never heard the piece of advice that the dad told him. Oh, I think it's about um, you're looking for the other bit of the jigsaw. I think that's what it is. The but, e I mean, it wasn't on the show, was it? I don't think he ever said it. I mean, I don't think it was cut out. I don't think no. he ever said it. And because I'm very bad, I never... Yeah. There was no follow-up question. Because like, you're right, I did hear him say that and think, oh, I don't know what that advice is. But I sort of thought to myself... you forgot to ask him. Yeah, but I thought, well, if it's that important, he'll tell us. But I think it was... I think it's... Because the name of the show is Jigsaw. And I think the premise of the idea of the, the thing is that we're all looking for the other part of the jigsaw, and you've got to fit completely. Every bit of the jigsaw's got to fit, not just most of it. It mm. sounds it sounds a bit... I, I would say uh, you've set the bar a little high there. I think you, in any relationship, yeah, you've got to bash... Really in any relationship, profound. you've got to bash one side of the jigsaw down, I would say, and kind of go, yeah, yeah that I've fits. I've got quite a few boxes of jigsaws here. Shall I just shuffle through <laughs> them and see if any of them fit? Yeah, do. Have, have a look. Have a look. But he is nice, isn't he, Daniel Sloth? I liked him. Oh, he's fabulous. I'm actually going to look at his show on... It's on the Netflix, isn't it? Graham, I have to just tell you, when I go for the take the dog for a walk early this morning in the rain, um, my lovely little, you know, local shop, yes. Ahmed, who works there... Uh, he doesn't own it, but he works there. Um, he's, Thanks for uh, the detail. Him... What? <laughs> Thanks for the detail. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't spoken to any for ages. Yeah, I've I'm got a editing pen. myself. Let me write this down. Ahmed yeah, doesn't yeah, wait, wait, own wait. it. Okay, okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> I've been teaching him some phrases, useful phrases, like, get out my pub. Yeah, that's good. Barbara yep. Windsor. That's yeah. a good one. So he does it with get out my shop. And, ooh, what she come as. <laughs> <laughs> It's a very good one. But this morning, um, when I went in and I, you know, chat, chat and left, and he said to me, go to hell. And I said, no, that's not a good one. That's not a good one, Ahmed. That's a bad one. You need to say, thank you for your custom. Good day. Yes, I have an awful feeling, Maria, maybe no one taught him that one. He just wanted to say it to you. He likes me. Hey, no. we're going to... Have you got some oh, yeah. letters, at least? Have you got some letters? I have, and I'm very grateful for that. Dear Graham and Maria, I am turning 50 and I have been married for over 20 years and have two wonderful teenage boys. However, my dilemma is I can't sustain this lifestyle for much more as I have a deep desire to have a relationship with a man and I'm not getting any younger. Unfortunately, during this last lockdown year, I got chatting to a guy and we just clicked. He is really genuine and knows my situation. We had a plan to meet, but lockdown has stopped that now. I feel awful as this would devastate my family and wider family too. Is it worth leaving my family to explore or am I just being stupid? Uh, thanks in advance. And that is from Danny. Danny, um, this is a really interesting dilemma and I, I would be the first to say to you, you know, you must sort of live your truth. I think that's the terminology. And then I was thinking if, if your letter had talked about having an affair with a woman, we would have a different 
uh, view on it. But because you clearly have been holding on to this for such a long time, it must have been very, very difficult. You don't mention your wife, Danny, who you've been married to for over 20 years. You have two wonderful teenage boys. You're about to throw a very big hand grenade into your life, and I wonder if you're prepared for that. I just want to say to you, because of course we're not experts, um, you should get in touch with the LGBT switchboard or the LGBT foundation or even the Terence Higgins Trust, because you need someone to talk to about this. This is not enough in this letter to, to know what you're doing. And it's gonna, you know, you're right. It will devastate your family, but do you want to live a, your own life feeling devastated or will it be better if you leave? Graham, what do you think? Well, I think, you know, he's, he ends that letter with saying, am I just being stupid? You're not being stupid, Danny, but equally, you know, you're not... As you, as he knows himself, this is no longer just about him. This is about lots of other people and the collateral damage of him now deciding to be his authentic self. Um, I do think the the kind of the red herring in all of this is the bloke that he's been chatting to online. I would forget about that, Danny. Focus on the relationship you are in rather than the relationship you're not in. So deal with your your wife and your family and what and what you want to say to them i mean essentially what danny wants is to play happy families and for have you know all the thing all the reasons he got into this relationship in the beginning so he can have kids he can have a nice wife he can have a kind of you know a a a, a, a home life all of those things he wants all of that but he would also like to explore this other side i don't I just don't think that's possible, and that will damage people even further. At least at this stage, you haven't done anything about it, so now is the time, I would say, to talk, talk to, your, to wife. your wife. and um, your boys. I, I, you know, I, I mean, think... really, Graham, the teenage boys will soon fly their, you know, spread their wings and fly, and you will. it will be you and your wife. I mean, anybody that's been married for over 20 years is always thinking, hmm, grass is greener, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not diminishing or belittling what you're feeling, Danny, but um, any form of excitement, um, and you've had a lovely chat with this guy, is very, very appealing because it's the new, it's the fresh, it's the... Mm. And, but does your wife have any idea that perhaps you haven't been as happy or as honest as you perhaps should have been? I, do you get that, any idea of that, Graham? It's hard to know, you know, I... Because we're we're just hearing from Danny, you know. I, I think it's that weird thing. I think even you know, young uh, gay people when they're coming out, you know, to them they're kind of sharing this huge secret, and you know, huge swage of their friends end up just rolling their eyes and going, "Well, yes, we knew that." Um, and you know, <laughs> maybe maybe people are very maybe people will think Danny is, and maybe it won't come as a huge shock to a lot of people. But I think to his his wife and his children, it will come as a shock because. You know, because he's been their dad and their husband for all these years, for 20 years. So I just think, like I say, I just think he's got to simplify what he's trying to achieve here. And I think what he's trying to achieve is extricate himself from this marriage. But he wants that. It's like wanting your cake and eating it, it too. Really, I do uh, think, Danny, you should contact somebody and talk to them. Yes. People with experience of this very thing, LGBT switchboard or LGBT... 
um, uh, foundation. And, and, then, and then you need to talk to your wife. You need to just tell her how life has been. You need to just reopen those communications that clearly have been lost. But also, I think it's interesting. I wonder that the guy that he was talking to online, you know, he says to him, oh, he knows my situation. He's really genuine. I wonder what that guy's thinking. How do you know thinking? that online? But, hmm? How do you know that online? People sort of, you know, on who they are online. Well, that's true too. Know, be... But I just think if somebody messaged you and said, oh, I'm, I'm married with two kids, do you want to meet up? If you're really genuine and you really clicked, like, you're, not, you're just going to go, whoa, back off, Neddy. Uh, you need to... Well, no, because you... I think, you know, perhaps because he is over 50 and he says he's not getting any younger, I mean, it's not going to be all wine and roses out there. It's, you know, pretty much Siberia. Um, I think once you get past a certain age, both for men and for women. Um, so, you know, maybe this man is the right age and age appropriate. And so he thinks this is somebody who I, I want to explore with. Yes, but I just think, well, I, I don't know. Personally, I, if, if that happened to me, I would be going, OK, you need to sort your own life out because, you know, you don't want to... Why would you want to get messed up with that, with a man well, who's got two kids Because some people like wife? drama, don't they? Some people like that it's not an easy situation. Yes. It takes all sorts. I guess it does. But I, I just think you're right. Danny needs to talk to, to someone. He needs to get kind of good, independent advice uh, from how, how to move forward. And then you've got to talk to your wife before you do anything else. Because if you're not happy in this relationship, that's not about some guy online or that's not about some new gay life you're going to have. That's about you and that woman in that house right now. Is that children. relationship working? No. So deal with that before you do anything else, I would say. Perhaps people uh, have been in the same situation. Well, I'm sure I, I love we know that. that this happens uh, yeah, not yeah. all the time, but it happens a lot because there's a lot of pressure on, on young people to kind of fit in and they feel pressure from their families and they sort of think, oh, I can do this. And then cut to 20 years later, you can't do it and it's all falling apart. So I think a lot of people have been in this situation. And I think it's interesting to, to talk to, uh, if we hear from women yeah. who have been married to these guys and sort of how the men got it wrong, how they got it right, and also how they moved forward. Because I just think if you are that wife, you will be furious, absolutely furious. Not that the guy you cheated on me, none of that, but that somehow, what what was any of this? Was any of yeah, this real? Was like any of it true? Has been Nothing has been real. It's been because he's been living this life. Yeah. And yet I think it has been real. I'm sure in some way when he walked down the aisle and made those vows to his wife, he meant them. He did love her, I'm sure. Um, but it's very hard to believe that at this, you know, 20 years down the line when he's going, oh, by the way, I'm off and uh, I'm going to live a different life. It's, yeah, that's really, really tricky. Ruth in Aberdeen says, no matter how scary this might be, you have to be true to yourself. Life is too short and your family will totally understand. Well, Ruth, I'd say eventually they'll understand, but for now it's going to be uh, just huge, just such an upheaval. Luke and Wigan, talk to your wife first. Explain how you are feeling and what's going on inside your head and be honest. That's all your wife will want from you. That way, if you do end up pursuing a relationship with this guy, it won't be a complete shock to your wife. Ashton Barnsley says, are you totally sure it's a romantic relationship you are after here and not just a friendship? Think long and hard about what it is you want before potentially turning your world upside down. 
Kelly in Carlisle, she's got some harsh advice, but actually, well, here it is. Unfortunately, you have two teenage boys to think about here. When we have kids, we automatically sacrifice our own needs and put theirs first. So you have to think how they would feel. Many couples choose to stay together despite not loving each other anymore due to the kids. And this is no different. I suppose it is no different except that the wife doesn't know (laughs) that she's in a relationship for the kids. She thinks she's in a relationship. So at least she should know uh, what's going on here. And then she can decide if they want to stay together for the sake of the kids. Uh, David in Apley Bridge. I think he texted in last week as well. Having been there... Oh, hello, David's voice of experience. Having been there, you've got to end the marriage by saying you don't feel like you feel about your wife as you should. Then only mention sexuality when you need to, i.e. when you are with someone. It's not about sexuality. It's about your feelings for your wife first and foremost. I mean, certainly that's a, a... an easier way to do it, a kind of you do it, you do it in stages on a kind of need to know uh, basis. Maybe that would work. I don't know. Nick and Cardiff, you need to deal with it in a sensitive manner. Deal with your own head first. This situation could cause a lot of hurt, but time is a healer. John in Lincolnshire, I was married for ten years and have two teenage boys myself. I also came out, but my marriage ended, allowing me time to really think and work out what I wanted and what I had suppressed. I took time out to make sure 110% what was right. It was certainly the best thing, as happier now as I am happy with me. I got on very well with my ex-wife, who I told I was gay. My children also know. I now live with my partner. But it is not an easy journey, and make sure it is what you want. But the fact you have been talking to this guy suggests it is what you want. But seek advice and be honest. Life is too short to be unhappy. Your concerns are there, but speak to friends first too, as you will want people around you whichever way it goes. And that is the hardest thing, isn't it? If you've been living this kind of weird life where you've suppressed everything, you don't have anyone. There's no one on kind of Team Danny. So it's incredibly isolating. So that is good advice from John, to, to just talk to someone. Uh, Fiona in Prestwick in Scotland says Danny the hurt for your wife is going to be huge anyway don't make it any bigger by adding in another party to her hurt step back step into her shoes and be as kind as you can to the person you've spent your life with so far then you have a chance of salvaging something from your family like before from your family life before pursuing the true you just a couple more um Uh, Maria in Cheltenham Uh, sit your wife down tell her the truth before you do anything and ask for her help then tell your children show them that it's wrong to live a lie and that's a good example to set them and maybe the children will learn from you and respect you for finally being your true self and uh, final one to Martin I was married to my lovely wife for 10 years before I summoned the courage to come out Twelve years on, I am now remarried to a wonderful man. My children are grown up and love us all. I know that for me, it was very traumatic coming to terms with who I am. My starting point wasn't a new relationship. It was choosing to become single and slowly accepting my sexuality. It's painful and sad to end a relationship. But if your truth lies in embracing your sexuality, then there is only one path. It's easier being married to someone who you genuinely fancy and who genuinely fancies you back.
Okay, have you got a letter, my dear? Dear Graham and Maria, we have a seven-month-old small dog who is perfect in every way apart from every night she leaves us a poop and a wee on newspaper in the kitchen where she sleeps. It has been suggested we pop her into a cage, which we bought for car use only. We don't like this idea, but are desperate to stop her doing her doggy business at night. She is a Jack Russell uh, slash toy poodle, very bright and quick to learn. And that is from Gabby in Sirencester. Well, Gabby in Sirencester, I would say at seven months, you're doing very well because most of us don't even have the dogs in the kitchen by then because we're fed up with the howling and they make their way into the bedroom and then, before you know it, into the bed. So hooray for Gabby in Sirencester. But, um, you know, if there's, a, if there's newspaper down, probably by the back door, I'm guessing, um, she's got the gist. Uh, the easiest thing to say is... Do you take her out for a, you know, to do her business late at night before you go to bed? Because that is, of course, essential. Because if there's anything brewing, you're going to find it in the morning when you get up. Um, she's nearly there and she's seven months old and she's bright. So I would just do that, of course. You're going to say that you do do that anyway. And it might just be that she doesn't like the idea of being alone and it's a sort of protest. But try the first one. And then, you know, move the newspaper more during the day if she's not doing it outside yet. And then take her outside an awful lot so that there's nothing left in the tank. That would be what I would say. What would you say, Graham? I mean, I think, you know, Gabby and Tyrant's Esther, little as you know, she's winning. I mean... <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> I, have you had a dog before? Because <laughs> this, this is kind of as good as they get. Um, I would say, I think what you do is, I, it all depends how much newspaper you've got down. If you've covered the kitchen in newspaper, then just make the patch of newspaper smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, and move it to the door. And I agree with you, just out as much as possible. I don't know, is it worth... I've never done the thing of getting up in the middle of the night to take a dog out. No, you shouldn't really need to. But, I mean, she's only a puppy still. Um, but, no, that's that way madness lies, really, because then she'll get used to you getting up in the night yeah. and then it'll be a, a thing. So you, you need to get her into the habit. And you've got her into great habits. At least she's doing it on the newspaper and, you know, not on the floor where you're going to tread in it. Yes, I unless, they... unless they've covered the kitchen floor in newspaper. <laughs> I do think people do that. I don't think so. No, I, th I wouldn't say... I wouldn't crate her, though, would you? Well, it all depends. I mean, some people swear by uh, crating a dog... I have never had the patience or the interest. <laughs> and also, one of my dogs was so big, I would need a horse box in my kitchen to, to crate it. So, um, just I mean, the, the dog bed took up enough, enough room. So I, I just didn't have the space for a crate. Uh, but I, for me, I'm not interested in crating. But people swear by it because they won't pee and poo in their own bed. No. Um, we're told. I, you hope. I suspect. I mean, uh, none of us enough, want Graham, to do that. None of us want to do that in our own bed. <laughs> no, sometimes, sometimes we have no choice. I'm just sitting here, Graham, talking about this dog thing. Um, you remember those sofas that I stole from your house? Oh, yes, I remember, yeah. Um, and they came when they got delivered with um, the cushions that were still on them, some two new rather nice black cushions. And as I speak, I'm just looking at the corners of all the cushions that your dogs chewed um, <laughs> very nicely. And I was thinking... Shall I sew those up? And I was thinking, no, it's a nice memory. Ah, that's so <laughs> lovely. No, I, I, there is no cushion in my house on Chewed because um, Bailey, the Labradoodle, he 
when I say he loved cushions, he was a cushion lover. Uh, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yes, he, we do. We yes. do. We get the gist. Yeah, and he would he would lovingly chew the corner as he had a good old go. <laughs> <laughs> that image is too much for Sunday mornings. We should be gentle, easy vibes, Graham. I, do you remember in Ireland where you visited the guys having a drink and it wasn't enough for him to have a good old go on a cushion inside? He had to bring it out to the patio so we could watch him. <laughs> A better audience, of yeah. course, outside. Of course. So, Gabby and Sarah and Sister, what we're trying to say is... You're, you're li- doing well, Gabby. Your little Jack Russell toy poodle mix is really at the top of... in the. It's in the 1%, I would say. <laughs> it's, in the, it's in the top 1% of well-behaved dogs. I really wouldn't worry. Uh, Sarah in Hounslow, pup trainer at the ready here. Sarah in Hounslow is a pup trainer. Uh, my top tip would be to take them for a quick evening walk about an hour before you start settling down for the evening. Won't stop the evening problem, but will most likely stop the pooping a la kitchen. Okay, so still we, but the poop... I mean, they can't make more... You know what I mean? If they've done it, they can't do it again. There's only so much in there. Mind you, some days you do think, how much is in there? But I won't go on. It's Sunday morning. (laughs) It's only quarter to eleven. Mark and Dundee. You could put the dog bed in a new room in the house and see if it still happens. Bit risky, but if you if you've got carpet, but a good test to see if it's just the kitchen that she's taking to for her toilet needs. And that is the weird thing. Dogs, I think, kind of think that places are their toilet. Like I, I had a little courtyard, and before we could take the pup out, that used to be the toilet. And then you'd take the dog for a big long walk, and it wouldn't go till it came back to the courtyard. So yeah, you never know. Helen and Stoke. She's only young, just persists with potty training as you've been doing and make sure she's getting enough outside time in the day. Brad and Epsom. She's only young. Uh, just persist. Oh, that's, is that the same problem? Oh, no, there's a different one. Just uh, just sniff around and do any business outside. Uh, Harvey in Seaford. You need to get up in the night and let her out until she's got better bowel control. You could try... I didn't think I'd be saying the word, the word, the phrase bowel control this morning, but there I have now twice. You could try moving the dinner time a bit later if you're not prepared to get up. But if it was me, I'd set an alarm to get up and walk around the garden with them. As she gets older, you can gradually extend the alarm until she can hold it all night. That sounds like a terrible idea, Harvey. It sounds exhausting. Uh, Brad uh, says, I'm with Maria. It's too tricky to keep my dogs... It's too tricky to keep my dogs downstairs. I blame it on them whining as pups, but really I like having them on the end of the bed with me. We had similar issues when they were young, but as they've grown up upstairs, it seems they've made the bedroom their own and don't want to poop there. Bring them upstairs if they're not too strict on where they sleep. I mean, it's lovely having a dog in the bedroom, but it, but it's bad. You shouldn't really, but it is, it is lovely. Avril, the dog trainer. Well, she'll know. I mean... The clue is in her name. She's called Avril the dog trainer. Gabby needs to take the newspaper up. It's asking her to go inside. Take it up and within two weeks she will stop. I mean, that sounds miraculous, but (laughs) maybe it would work. Um... Uh, Linda Nipswich, try moving her feeding time so she doesn't need to poo at night. Bex from Hampshire, we have a 10 week old that does all her wheeze and poos outside already. Well, thank you very much, Miss Smug. (laughs) Miss Smug of Hampshire. Uh, It's consistent training from day one. Keep going, you'll get there. Mm, Ten weeks, never getting that. This is good advice, I think, from Sabina in the Peak District. You have to night toilet train. Okay, what's that, Sabina? Let me read on. You do this by getting up in the very early hours of the morning and take her out. You have to do this at the same time every night for a couple of nights. Then you move the time by 15 minutes until, voila, she will be able to go all night through. That sounds 
actually, that sounds like it would work. I think that that sounds more, I don't know, possible than the just you remove the newspapers and suddenly she goes, oh, I won't, I'll never go to the toilet inside again. Uh, those newspapers are making me do it. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Hello, Melcy. Hi, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you now. There you are. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm doing that. It's a round of applause for that song. It is terrific. It's so, oh. so, so good. You must be thrilled with it. I love it. Yeah, do you know what? It's so funny because I released my album last year and this is the fifth single and it was never planned to be a single. But the fans loved it so much and obviously right now I'd be planning to get out there on the road touring and because that's not possible right now, we just thought, oh, let's just release another single, do another video, keep people entertained through this madness. And it's one of those songs where I love it and yet it's sort of tinged with, with <laughs> kind of sadness because it's such a dancey song. You can almost see the lasers coming through the smoke machine. I mean, it's, it's, the production on it is so clubby. Uh, you must, you, I mean, it'll, you must be itching to get it out in front of a crowd. Oh, you are so right. And do you know what? We This song came quite late because it's on the deluxe version of the album. Okay. So it's like an extra track. And we did it during, the, you know, the pandemic in 2020. And I went into the studio. Is it one of those times when things are a bit more relaxed? And um, I said, whatever we do, I don't want to write a song that is inspired by what we're going through. I want to, I want to look ahead. I want to be in Ibiza. I want to be on a beach. I want to be partying till dawn. <laughs> and um, and I think, you know, of course, we're all, you know, we're all going through this. But hopefully now there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and we can all think to getting back in that club and uh, dancing in the smoke and the lasers. Oh, I, I'm so with you. But somehow I feel like because there's light at the end of the tunnel, it's suddenly harder. It's like when you do a job and you've got holidays coming up. The closer you get to the holidays, the harder the job is. And I feel like that's what's going on now. But soon, I'm, I'm with you, soon. And you have tour dates. I mean, there are tour dates out there that you can buy tickets for, right? Yeah, at the moment, they're there. Yeah, we, we booked this <laughs> for a while back. I know. I mean, who knows? We are due to tour Europe and the UK April, May, but we're just having to, you know, keep an eye on the situation. And, and yeah, it, it's a tough one to talk about because I really hope and pray we'll do it. But if we don't, we will reschedule and we'll do it as soon as we can, as soon as it's safe to. Yeah, and if people, if people check melaniec.net, you can get tickets there and you could also, presumably, you'll be updating people on what gigs are going ahead, what gigs might be cancelled, all that sort of stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're kind of in the hands of promoters right now because, you know, you don't want to mess people about. It's so hard to plan anything. But, yeah, exactly. All my social media platforms will keep everybody in the loop with exactly what's going on. Oh, smell you with your social media platforms. Mm, Mel. Uh <laughs> I'm no pro, just like you, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were on my New Year's Eve show, not this last, but you're the one before with Sink the Pink, and you did. What yeah. did you? What was that a track? Was that a track off this album? Do you know that was kind of an in between thing because after I did the stadium tour with the Spice Girls in 2019, I went out and I did this amazing tour all over the world playing Pride with Sink the Pink, which, if your listeners don't know, um, I know you know them very well, this beautiful East London creative collective. And I had my gorgeous drag queens with me on your show. We had the best time. And I wanted to write a song specifically for that because I was so inspired by the people at Sink the Pink. It's, you know, a huge 
supporters of LGBTQ+, and it's, it's just so inclusive. And I did feel so inspired and thought having a song specifically for those shows was really important. So it actually it is on the deluxe version, as is Into You. But, um, yeah, it, it was something, you know, kind of in between releasing albums. But it was very fun. I, <laughs> what struck me on the night was you're the star, you're there, but you're having to wait for all the drag queens to get ready. <laughs> they're, doing, they're, they're zhuzhing their outfits and you just stood there at the mic. Kind of, Hello, <laughs> Mel C. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny? So many people, because I'm quite low maintenance when it comes to artists, and people often ask me, what's the difference in working with Spice Girls and drag queens? And I'm like, yeah, there's not much in it. Big shoes, <laughs> big hair, and loads of makeup. <laughs> yeah, and you're still waiting. You're, you're still the one who's ready first. Yeah, yeah. Come I on, am. everybody. <laughs> Uh, tw so as you say, 2019, a huge year for uh, the Spice Girls. But of course, this year, it's 25 years. 25 years since uh, Wannabe. I know, it's a big one. We are, we're kind of frustrated. We can't celebrate in the way we'd like to. But um, we have got some plans up our sleeve. So we're hoping to, you know, to have some fun stuff for the fans to look forward to. I think, and this is hard for you to talk about, but I, I think we both should big up your achievements as a solo artist because it is kind of extraordinary. Like three million albums, sales, presumably more than that, because this album's uh, top ten as well. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing, you know. I suppose when you've been part of something as enormous as the, as the Spice Girls, you know, that's the thing that everybody's going to remember you for. But I'm so grateful that it's enabled me to go on and and to make. This is my eighth studio album. So, um, yeah, it's been keeping me busy, this old music lock. It has. Well, you're quite good at it. You really are quite good at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, now, Mel, I don't want to get you in trouble, but I was listening to, you know, the Homo... Well, you do know the Homo Sapiens podcast because you were on it. And yes. you, you told an amazing story on there. Um, do you know the story I'm talking about? I, I, I've got a good idea. It's the one where the Spice Girls, at the absolute zenith of your success, said, let's get rid of our manager. But which sounds, which as you say, it sounds like a great idea. Let's get rid of a manager. But the logistics of the biggest, <laughs> the biggest band in the world getting rid of their manager are enormous. Uh, mm -hmm. Take it away, Mel C. What happened next? <laughs> well, you know, we'd we'd come to this point. I mean, looking back, it was crazy because obviously, like you say, flying high, the absolute peak of our success. Two albums in, movie, we were just about to go on tour and, yeah, we, we decided we'd, we'd had enough of our manager. <laughs> so we were actually, we were at the um, European Music Awards, the MTV Awards in Rotterdam, I think. And, of course, you know, it was a very different time. It was mid-90s, there was no internet, there was no smartphones. So all of the information and all of the, the contacts of the people that we needed to have were in a file of facts. <laughs> and um, that belonged to our PA, who worked for the management. So we decided, in our wisdom, we needed to steal it. And we did. And Jerry had this bag, and you know, I'm sure, or oh, everyone knows Jerry. She's a little bit kooky, and you know, she likes to to go and shop down. Well, she used to like to go and shop down at the local charity shop. So she had this like really funny kind of, you know, like a quilted bag, and we we shoved the file of facts in there, and we went up to rehearse. 
do this big production rehearsal for the number we were doing on the night. And, uh, yeah, she did the whole rehearsal, big catwalk, everything with this bag over her shoulder. And, um, you know, which must have looked ridiculous. And uh, it was just, for us, it's one of those memories which is so dear to us because I think when we were kind of caught up in that mayhem and when we really pulled together, you know, when we were doing ridiculous things, they're the things that really... You know, that make us laugh. The things we reminisce about when we get together now. Because it, it is like an episode of something. Kind of the, 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 the girls kind of plotting to, to nick the file of facts and then hiding it in the bag. I think there's something really funny about it. Just you all scheming to, to do it. But, you, <laughs> but, I mean, it is extraordinary that that tour didn't just fall off the edge of a cliff, that you did manage to do it. I know. I mean, some of the situations we've been in, it's funny because we, we have a bit of a history with steaming things. Um, <laughs> but it, it's things that kind of belong to us anyway. Because when we left our very first management, it was the management that had auditioned us and put us together. We, we were doing demos at the time when we had it, you know, it was back in the day when it was demo tapes. And we had this plan, and there was like a decoy, like the engineer had the demo tape. So me and Victoria were the decoy, and then Jerry stole the cassette. And I think it ended up, it was either down her knickers or down her bra. And I don't, it was some form of underwear. But I don't know why, like, anyone was going to frisk her at this stage, you know. <laughs> we were just always, you know, a little bit nuts. John, John from Harlow is a, re, a kind of serious question, but I think it's an interesting one. You know, he's talking about how, you know, you've been very open about some of the issues you faced, you know, like uh, depression and things like that. And he just wonders, is there something you wish you could kind of travel back in time and tell your younger self that would help you kind of facing the issues you faced? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's so many things. I, I think I spent a long time really regretting some of the, you know, the, the things that happened to me and and kind of wondering and wishing if I could have done things differently. And, you know, I've just come to this point now where actually I, I kind of feel weirdly grateful that I went through it. And I think because maybe it's because I'm a parent now as well, you know, I feel like because I've had those experiences, I kind of, I, I know, you know, I have first-hand experience what it feels like and, and kind of the signs to, to look out for if anybody close to me was to be going through it. And I think it would just be to reach out. I think when you're depressed and, you know, and, and I've suffered with an eating disorder as well, I think personally, and I think a lot of people feel very ashamed and very embarrassed about it, like it's a weakness. You know, you've you've lost this control. And I just, you know, because I kept it so secret, and I think people are quite aware of it around you, but they don't know how to approach you. I think I would have just said, people love you and care about you, please reach out to them, because so often you, you do need that external help. You know, you have to be ready, but you do need help. And personally for me, I need professional help. And I would always say to people, you know, if you're feeling like something's not quite right or someone around you, something's going on and you don't know how to deal with it, there's so many great resources and charities. Now get online, you know, get some good advice. Uh, it, it, people can't overestimate the power of saying something out loud. You know, when you oh voice a problem, it's suddenly yeah. it's contained. You can address yeah. it if you if you express what it is rather than bottling it all up. It's so yeah, important. And I I think so often in those situations you feel like oh there's something wrong with me I'm so alone you know I'm no one would understand and once you talk about it you realize you know so many people have very similar feelings you're not alone you know 
so it is it's so important to reach out and and never never be embarrassed you know we all we all have problems and concerns so yeah people need people Hey, lovely to talk to you, Mel C. We look forward to hearing your, what was that? Is that a silver anniversary, 25 years? Is that silver anniversary? It's something anyway. Mm-hmm. It's some yeah. sort of anniversary, 25 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's big. I know it's big. So it's uh, a hope, big one. Hopefully you get to celebrate and we get to share in those celebrations. The new single, Into You, that's out now. And of course, the album, Melanie C, is also out. Lovely to talk to you today. Take care of yourself, Mel. Bye. To you too. Good luck in your new home. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin. In radio. Now, so many of us uh, the last few months have been dreaming, dreaming of escaping to some sort of rural idyll. Well, my next guest has only gone and done it, and uh, now we can live vicariously through her with Escape to the Winter Farm. It is the wonderful Kate Humble. Hello, Kate. Good. Uh, I was going to say morning, but it's not anymore, is it? <laughs> well, well observed. <laughs> you're, you're not living that off, Reed. I'm so on it. <laughs> You've still got clocks. You've still got yeah. clocks. Well done. <laughs> Only just. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I loved this show. It's a, it's everything. It's kind of everything rolled into one. It's lifestyle. It's cooking. It's animal husbandry. It's uh, how much of your your life is spent making this program? Is it all the time, or are there weeks go by where you're like just? It's pretty much all the time, and when we're not making the program, we're just you know doing things so actually i'm sitting here in and i'm looking down at my feet which are in um very unsexy slippers and i've got very muddy jeans and um i spent the morning uh mucking out goats and pigs and hens and um and taking my dog for a walk so it's it's basically it's it's my life <laughs> yes. um and it just has turned into a tv program because the, the escape to the winter farm what something was so because of television production and stuff did you have to kind you know the way people do a Christmas special, they kind of film it in June. Were you kind of telling the cows, time to go into that shed? No, it was all... I mean, partly because of the situation that we're in, it turns out, Graham, that I married rather well. Um, So I uh, handily married um, somebody who's quite good at directing, quite good at at filming with a camera, and and has won an award. So uh, some bright spark at Channel 5 went, could you just make a programme together and we went well yeah um, so we can sort of do things last minute because we just sort of um, shamble out of our door and, and film what's going on um, so that's really that's really what the, the series ended up being so we filmed uh, Escape to the Winter Farm at the beginning of winter when we started tucking all the animals up into into nice warm sheds and um, and at the moment uh, we are um, filming another series which is going to be coming out in March um, and so we're 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 following all the kind of joys and and trials and tribulations of winter going into spring and lambing which is about to start and all that kind of thing so are you covered in snow there at the moment uh well actually rather smugly we're not you're kidding no absolutely glorious it's always sunny in wales though big world big world kate (laughs) it's a big world so let me just explain. The, so the living situation, because I was unclear watching the program. It all seemed a bit modern, a bit hippie commune. So which one are you married to? You're married to Ludo, are you? <laughs> I'm married to Ludo, uh, who is mainly behind the camera until I cook something. And then he sneaks out and um, and uh, is my chief taster. Uh, and Tim and his wife, Sarah, live on the farm. So we, ba- we basically live just down the road from the farm. And we have what's called a joined holding. Uh, so we have our little bit of land with some 
some of the animals on it and the mainland and the main farm is where Tim, Tim and Sarah live. Uh, so we all sort of work together in our, you know, COVID bubble. Yes, I must say, Ludo seems to have the nicest job that he just holds a camera. He literally <laughs> films you working. He does, um, but then, but then he has to be married to me, which is um, which is quite tiresome. So um, you know, we have to we have to cut him some slack. Hey, does pork and apple dirt. casserole at the end of the day? Come on. Yeah, he does get pork and apple casserole, which was I have to say, I'm I, <laughs> I've never cooked on telly before, and it's it's quite difficult. I've, I you know, um, the the lovely man who runs Channel Five said um, said he quite liked it because it was slapdash, which um, I think is a fair description. Well. My, my I, I agree with him. I liked it. Was that Ben Frau? Was he, did he yes. say that? Oh, yes. yes. Ben used to have a house very close to me in Ireland, oddly. Did he? Yes. Did yeah. he? Crazy. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, but I liked your cooking because you don't use recipes. You put in a bit of something and you cook like, you cook the way we all cook. Yes, I suppose so. Um, uh, it, it, it is, it's sort of, it's a bit haphazard and you kind of stick your finger in the pot and think, does that taste okay? And if it doesn't, then you sort of shove something else in and hope that it does. Um, and it's very much, um, you know, my recipes are, uh, are kind of things, my, I used to cook with my mum at home, you know, and um, so a lot of the stuff I learned from her and, um, and, then, and then from friends and, you know, we, one of the lovely things, I I think about living in the countryside and obviously it's probably the thing I miss most is that we don't eat out very much because there aren't that very many places to eat out um, so you eat with friends and um, and we do lots of you know and people are always kind of swapping recipes or saying oh how should I oh I've got this and what shall I do with it and um, so it's very it is it is I suppose very authentically home cooking because that's all I really know how to do. Yes, I can't I do kind of foams and smears and all that kind of master chef <laughs> no, sort of stuff. <laughs> I did like the way in the in the special in the winter special you 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 collected all those acorns and then you could tell even you were like I cannot be bothered doing this. <laughs> I was talking to Liz about, I said, so, so Liz Knight, who's our lovely forager, and um, I said, so how do you turn this into flour? Thinking that you would just put a handful of acorns into a kind of, you know, coffee grinder or something, blitz them up, ta-ra! And she went, oh no, you have to kind of, you know, put them in a stream and run them through. I thought, can you get, can you buy it online? And she went, yeah. I went, okay, let's just tell everyone. Like, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not torture people. No, no. I mean, life's too short. I mean, you know, if you have got a lot of time, which some people have at the moment, go ahead and make acorn flour. But if you haven't, yeah, buy it. And were you a country girl before you did this? Where, where were you before you moved to the little farm? I was. Uh, well, I, I had a hiatus. So I had a London hiatus. But I grew up in uh, in Berkshire, uh, in the countryside next to a farm. So so basically, um, I spent most of my childhood uh, covered in mud and, and other less savoury things. And my mum used to totally despair that I would never have a boyfriend because I was always filthy. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm never going to marry you off. Um, and uh, and then, you know, I left home uh, when I was 18 and... Uh, Had and, a wash. And, and <laughs> only the occasional one. Um, and uh, sort of went and, and had a bit of a bit of an explore. And then came came to London when I was twenty, and and it was and it was really good fun. It was really really good fun for the first sort of few years. And I, you know, I lived in a squat, and I sort of then lived in all sorts of shared flats, and I did all sorts of funny jobs. And then, um, and then I think something happened to you, uh, it, and for me, it got it was sort of mid thirties. I just thought 
I've got to go back to my to my roots and it didn't have to be geographical I didn't particularly hanker to go back to Berkshire but I did just need to be back in the countryside I just didn't want to be woken up every morning by the man uh, uh, starting his diesel van that he always parked outside our bedroom window so um, yeah I just needed to get back to the countryside and it and we moved back uh, we moved to Wales 13 years ago and it's the best thing I've ever done. Kate, lovely to talk to you. Escape to the Winter Farm with Kate Humble is available now on My5. Uh, good luck with the lambing. I hope it all Thank goes you. well. Thank you. Hear what the hilarious Rod Gilbert had to say about his new panel show in just a bit. But first, here's Ellie Bamber talking all about starring in a new serial killer drama. The Serpent. Hi, Ellie. Hi. Uh, congratulations on The Serpent. It is such a... It's such a kind of... I don't know. There's something... Well, one, uh, when none of us are going on holidays, and when you watch The Serpent, you think, I'm glad. I don't want to... Go. I never want... I never want to leave the country again. <laughs> I know. It's very... Yeah, it's very disturbing. Um, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> um, how long were you... You must have done a lot of filming out in Bangkok, did you? Yes, we shot the whole thing in Bangkok. So um, that was just a wonderful experience. And that I don't know if you've been to that city, but it's just so nonstop. And there's, you know, neon lights everywhere and the food's incredible. So we, as a cast, were going out loads and hanging out. It was brilliant. Well, I was there kind of in the late 80s. And now that I watch The Serpent, I think how amazing I got out alive. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, I should say, if there are any parents and their children are on a gap year right now in Thailand, don't watch this. <laughs> so listen, if people haven't seen uh, The Serpent yet, uh, tell us kind of... the Because it's a true crime story. And it, uh, one of the reviews was saying, you know, this had to be a true crime story because if, if you made it up, people would go, what? That can't be true. But it is true. So tell us, tell us uh, how you pitch it to people. Yes, the, the events are just unbelievable. It's about Charles Sobrage and his accomplices um, who in the 1970s took kids off the hippie trail and would slowly lure them in um, and poison them and often kill them. And the two people who kind of go on the hunt for the serial killer are a, a Dutch diplomat and his German wife. Um, and I play the German wife. <laughs> and the Dutch diplomat and the German wife, are they kind of an amalgamation of real people or are they an actual couple who really did do this uh, search, the no, hunt? No, they're an actual couple. And I actually sat down with Angela and had a few conversations with her and chatted with her about her experiences. So that was that was really interesting. When you spoke to her, was she sort of, was she quite blasé about what they did? Or did she get how kind of heart in the mouth terrifying what they were doing was? Well, she just said that it was a real moral compulsion to solve the case and kind of bring these people's justice. And I think that she said that she wasn't directly scared of Charles at any point, because I think she had that distance, but she was scared about Nadine, who was so close to yeah. Charles. Um, which was just terrifying. Um, I think she was more scared about Herman and his kind of um, obsession with this um, this man. And is Herman still alive as well? Yes, Herman is. Um, Billy and I actually had uh, dinner with him out in Bangkok, which was it was really cool. Wait a minute, is he still there? Uh, no, so he came over while we were filming and visited set, and and but yeah, just went around and saw all of the sets that we were filming on. And when you met her, uh, Angela, did you kind of think, yeah. oh, I, I see why I was cast? Or did you think, really? <laughs> really? 
I mean, she works for the UN in peace and disarmament. So I was like, oh my God, really? I mean, she's so intelligent. I sat there and I was like, oh, wow. And the, I mean, do we do we know how many people uh, Charles and Marie uh, offed over the years? I mean, there are so many kind of unsolved cases, so it's really hard to pin down. So, yeah, there could be a lot more. And was the show, is it based on something or is it just you know, the scriptwriters putting together the story from various kind of court accounts and talking to people uh, like Angela? Or is there a, a source book or something? There's a source book, but I think that they spent a lot of time talking to, like, Angela, Dominique, Herman, Nadine. So they kind of put together this story. And, you know, a lot of the facts are just so unbelievable. Like, I don't know if you've seen the bit where the the monkey dies. It's just, it's incredible what happened. It's just crazy. It really is crazy. And and in four, I mean, I think what's interesting is you you see the way the characters because of the the time, oh yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. So the time jumpy thing, uh, the way it's told, mm-hmm. kind of flicking back and forward. It, did you you didn't film it like that? If you know what I mean, you must have just filmed it. Was it like a linear thing when you were filming it? Well, the scripts actually like wrote the time jumps, but it's so interesting to see it on screen now because you see how kind of lots of little bits of information are filled in each time when you go back to those sections and I think it's it's a kind of really interesting way of showing all of the quite chaotic events. And when you're making something obviously you know you hope it's going to look nice and everything but did you know did they kind of set you down and give you that kind of because it's got a a fabulous kind of washed out kind of blown out 1970s look and that soundtrack that kind of French pop music soundtrack were you were you aware of any of that when you were making it? I mean, the soundtrack, yeah. Well, Tom, uh, the director, Tom Shankland, he played a lot of the music to us, which was really great. But I actually hadn't, I didn't have that much of a clue of how it was going to look because I don't, I didn't really look behind the camera, but it it just, it looks really cool. (laughs) It really does. It's gorgeous. And also what I love is the way that people watch television so differently now. You know, it's all there on iPlayer or you can watch it on Sunday nights. You can do it any which way. And I think the word mouth on this series is kind of really growing all the time oh well I'm glad I'm glad to hear but no it's good because I think that people do watch tv in such a different way you can just binge or you can sit and watch it like as a regular program Listen, Ellie Bamber, thank you very much for joining us this morning. All episodes are available on the iPlayer. Good luck with all your future endeavours. Enjoy being back in Britain. <laughs> You're back now. <laughs> Take care of yourself, thank Ellie. Thank you. Bye, 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 bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Well, 2021, I think we're all looking for the funny. Look no further. Growing Pains is new to Comedy Central and here to tell us all about it is the host of that show, Rod Gilbert. Hello, Rod Gilbert. Hello, Graham Norton. <laughs> How are you? I'm uh, I'm all right, thank you. Yes, you know, if we um, forget everything that's happening, I'm fine. Uh, can I? Do, are you one of those people who've built a podcast studio in your house? You sound like you're in the room with me. I, I, well, I, yes, I have got a podcast and but this, I mean, if you could see the web <laughs> of wires, I've got a laptop on top of the fridge. I, if I move either, if I'm turned to my, I've got a swivel chair, but if I swivel it to my left or my right, something will fall off the table. So it's, 
Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm barely moving. I can open my mouth to speak. Anything, if I move anything else, the whole thing falls apart. And have you got duvets propped on clothes horses and things? To get to I've, I have recorded so far. I have used the duvet four times to record voiceovers for television programs. It is after about half an hour. It is. It gets a bit hot and stuffy under a duvet and your neck. The weight of a duvet is surprisingly heavy when you when you have it all on top of your head. So, yes, I've been doing that. Yeah, tell me about it. I'm in an ad at the moment. Every time it's on the telly, I just think if people knew where I was when <laughs> I did that voice. <laughs> the weight of a duvet when you've got it over your head trying to shout you in the microphone <laughs> to deaden the sound at home. The weight of the duvet really does take it on your neck, doesn't it? It does. Growing Pains. It's a great <laughs> show, Rob. It's such a funny, great watch. Uh, if people haven't missed episode one it's on tuesdays at nine on comedy central but if, uh, and the first episode went out last week so if people missed it uh, what is the format what happens tell us all about it it is uh, basically it's yes yeah, called growing pains it's about it's it's a chat show it's it's you know it's a chat show like your chat show uh, Graham, but it's just teenage stuff. So we're just we're just focusing on your teenage years. So so episode one went out last week. That was Jonathan Ross, uh, Shazia Mirza, Kiri Pritchard, McLean. This week we got Charlotte Church, Joel Domit, uh, and Munya Chihuahua, the internet sensation. And then it's just us talking about being teenagers and the and the stupid haircuts, the fashions, the music you were into, the gadgets, the the first forays into romance, the you know the just the daft stuff you got up to and it's 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 genuinely really well really fun and really interesting but what i like about it is the the thing about the contestants is they become competitive but in winning like they win at the game but they sort of lose at life like joel domit yeah. joel, joel domit shares so much <laughs> I, what's what's yeah well, well basically at the end i sort of crown one of the most embarrassing teenager which you would not think would be the uh, a great accolade but but it's amazing how keen people are to prove that their teenagers were more mortifying more embarrassing than uh, than the other guests and yeah joel domit some people re i mean you wouldn't come on a show about your teenage years with unless you were ready to give ready to share but some guests are definitely more ready to share than others joel domit uh, and john Jonathan Ross, perhaps I'm looking at you particularly, but um, yeah, very, very, very. Joel Domit, when he confesses that he got some kind of bodily fluid out of his chest, that he, yeah, oh, as yes, a teenager, that is so yeah. strange. Yeah, so you, weird. you felt like so. he should be taken in a taxi immediately to embarrassing bodies and they do a celebrity <laughs> yeah. special. Yeah, yeah, and, and and Jonathan Ross last week uh, sharing some his his uh, sex education with an orange was quite an eye opener as well. So 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 some people are more candid than others. Should we say that? And have you recorded the whole series now? Yeah, we did it. We did it all under sort of uh, you know lockdown conditions uh, last year. So all socially distanced and stuff. So I'm I'm hoping we get another series so we can see how 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 much fun it can be if we can actually uh, get near each other on yes, set. Yes, you can all bunch up. No, actually, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. look it doesn't look weird. I think we're so used to it now. It doesn't look like you're all spread out. It doesn't look like you're on a football oh, pitch. That's a weird times when we're, when it doesn't look weird. The four <laughs> guests are in a studio sitting three meters apart. When that doesn't look weird anymore <laughs> what, what's happened um, have you have you had that thing during recording where someone has started telling a story that they think is going to be funny and as they tell it they realize actually this is just humiliating this is just <laughs> awful well well because because 
It is, it's definitely comedy. It's on Comedy Central. I'm a comedian. We're looking for comedy. But there's room for other stuff in this show because, because cringe-worthy teenage experience <laughs> is what we're kind of after and what we're looking for. So, so not everything has to be funny. Some of it's just genuinely interesting, you know, or quirky or weird, like Bill Bailey's obsession with sticky labels when he was a child. In fact, I think he still is. <laughs> but he collected sticky labels. So it's not particularly funny, but he's there going through his label collection, going, oh, yeah, this one, this one is a label for £1.49. It's from the 1973. And you're going, what, is, what am I listening to? Uh, so, so it's, yeah, there's room. I mean, a lot of it is embarrassing because it's teenagers. And teen you know, the stuff we did, I mean, the stuff I did. What well, did you do? That's what, what I was going to say. Like as a teenager? Yeah, what's great is that you're not just kind of laughing at the guests. You humiliate yourself. Um, yes. I, I don't want to. I didn't want to give away any of the stories in the show. But can you? Can you? It's right at the top of episode two. Can you just talk us through your your photographic quirk as a teenager? Uh, well, it goes back to, I did a documentary about shyness a few years ago. I was very, very, I still am a bit, but very, very shy as a teenager. So almost every photograph of me as a teenager. I've, I've got my hand over my face. So as soon as my parents took a camera... Is that what you're talking about? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but I would put my hand up to sort of hand off the person with the camera or hide my face. So there are very, very few photographs that are verifiably me as a teenager. I've always got my hand up in front of my face. But the photo... I love the photograph because people brought... That was how we started the show. People brought photographs in of themselves. <laughs> And that, I mean, Richard, Richard Iowadi, the only teenage photograph he had of himself was just the top of his head in a photo booth from when he was, <laughs> from when he was three years old. Because it's, it's like, how does that qualify? He said, well, my parents, for some weird reason, didn't take any pictures of him as a teenager. So there's a gap of like 10 years in his, Which, <laughs> in his life. Which, as it turns out, was good because he was going on a show called Growing Pains. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, he, he was, he's, he's quirky as well. I mean, he remembered halfway through, because people have thought about it in advance. You know, we've asked them to think about their teenagers and dig out some stories and memories and stuff. But his, halfway through the show, he kind of went, do you know what? He just remembered that, that I was obsessed as a, as a teenager with pictures of businessmen. In the local paper. No, I'm not talking Richard Branson. I'm not talking famous. I'm talking about he would cut out and he had hundreds. I think he said he had about 700 pictures in it. In scrapbooks of pictures of local businessmen just outside the business, maybe receiving an award or a certificate or, or just shaking hands. Was it just men in suits? Hundreds and hundreds. <laughs> things like that. Yeah, you know, his, his mind has lovely. not changed. I mean, he. <laughs> I <laughs> love Richard Iori. The thing that made me laugh too was that, you know, because you and I are, I'm a bit older than you, but we're kind of of an age. So when we look back at, you know, teenage things, da, 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 there is a, a distance. Munya Chihuahua, yeah. when he shows pictures, it's <laughs> like, well, that's you now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, he took him on the way to the studio, I think, his teenage <laughs> photos. I know. And then you've got, but on this show, it's, but that's what's so lovely. I, th I think he grew up in Zimbabwe, was it? So, he, and, then, and then you're sitting alongside Joel Domit, who's a kind of, you know, sort of regular kind of lad almost, you know. And then Charlotte Church, who, who was born famous, you know, who at the time when we were doing whatever we were doing down our you know, behind the bus shelter, she was meeting the Pope, you know, so it's, it's, so, it's just so fascinating putting these people together and letting them just, I mean, and people talked for hours, the recordings took us hours because you can't shut people up about being a teenager, it's just so much fun, so much no, fun. No, it is, it's really great, and like you say, it's great to see the three people kind of interacting and being kind of laughing at each other's stories and being amazed at each other's memories, it's great.
Uh, we should also mention you're hosting an online quiz on January the 23rd. When is that? Friday? Saturday? Oh, good grief. I didn't realise you'd uh, dug that bit of information out. That's a, that's a cancer charity. Um, it's a Valindre Cancer Hospital in Cardiff that I do sort of regular. I go on walks. I lead treks all over the world to raise money for them. And I've been doing online quizzes on lockdown. And yeah, we got one on the 23rd of uh, this month, next oh, week, I think. So I better write something. I better yeah. write something. Well, tickets are available at hoofcancer.co.uk. And what happens? I mean, obviously, they can see you. Can you see them? I can see them, yeah, yeah. I can, I can see, yeah, I, I can see them. And, and it's and we get them involved as well. It's a little bit interactive. We don't have to be. But if they if they want to be involved and talk to me at this quiz, then they then they can. It's chaos. It's every time it's chaos. It goes on for hours. It's uh, it's carnage, usually. Well, but, it, fills um, the t- it fills the time. So that... That's exactly. good. <laughs> exactly. We've got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. The the five hour quiz with Rod Gilbert. Let's do that <laughs> yeah, tonight. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so, uh, is there a limit to tickets, or could as many people as want to come to it? Well, I think do you know it's one of the we're all we're all um, learning, aren't we, on this yeah. online stuff? So it's it's it's, uh, it's a Zoom jobby. So I think I think I think we've been upgrading our. You know, because it's for a charity, we've got to watch the pennies. But we've we've been upgrading our Zoom package every every time as as the quiz grows. Oh, wow, that's fantastic! Um, so so every time we hit we hit the you know we hit the maximum number we're allowed, we kind of have a conversation where we go, should we spend another nine ninety nine? Will we sell another two tickets? Is that is that worth it? <laughs> you know, it's a charity. We've got to watch the pennies. But at the moment, yeah, I think so. I think yeah, I think I I, I don't mind. Let's go for it. Go yeah. for it. Let's hoofcancer.co.uk. We've had a shout out in Virgin. Let's see how many uh, tickets you sell for. January the 23rd. Uh, Rod Gilbert's Growing Pains. It's on Tuesdays, 9 o'clock on Comedy Central. And as Rod said, it's a really lovely, funny, warm watch. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Rod. Good luck to you. Back to the basement. Oh, no, you're in the basement. <laughs> I'm in the basement. Thank yeah. you so much for having me again. Good luck through all this and good luck with this uh, new venture on Virgin. Why, thank you very much, sir. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Best of the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning and the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. See you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio.